friends, and welcome to Conversations with Consequences. We are the ladies of the Catholic Association, bringing you witty and charming in-depth conversation on the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers and movers of our time. Conversations with Consequences is part of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our radio show is always a podcast, and you can listen by going to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts, or you can just go directly to wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. Thank you for joining us again this week on Conversations. This week we've put together a great show for you, talking about two summer movies that you can enjoy. We talk with Carrie Solomon. He is a Catholic producer and director, uh, as well as a writer, of a new movie that's out in theaters right now called Nefarious. It's a supernatural thriller inspired by the best-selling book A Nefarious Plot about the epic battle between good and evil, and it's a psychological thriller. He has assured me that it's not terribly scary, it's mostly psychological, but it's, it's a wonderful Catholic movie that doesn't pull any punches when it... Um, it exposes the role of malevolence that we know is out there and trying to ruin us. Carrie Solomon, um, who we're going to talk to right now, also um, directed the movie Unplanned. But first, we are talking to the director of a movie opening on July 4th called The Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, and his name is Alejandro Monteverde. The movie is on a dark subject, which is child sex trafficking. It's based on a true story. Jim Caviezel plays Tim Ballard, who goes uh, into goes and does a rescue mission of children being uh, trafficked for sex in Latin America and in the U.S. And um, it's absolutely spectacular, and I'm excited to talk to the director of this movie. Welcome to the show, Alejandro. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much. Oh, it's wonderful to hear your, your accent. Um, you're in LA and I'm in Miami and, and we're both in the the opposite capitals of Latin, Ameri Latin American life in, in the United States, as I think of LA and Miami. Last night, Alejandro, I watched your movie. I was um, I was sent a screener link by by your company and I watched mm -hmm. the movie. I don't know I don't know how to express how much it moved me. And I, it was an experience, something like um, Uncle Tom's Cabin, a, a book written about slavery um, that, that, that made people who, who, who read the book really understand the human, um, the human cost of slavery way back in 1840 or 30, whenever that was written. Um, and your movie, The Sound of Freedom, has that same effect. It, it brings you deeply into the situation of of child sex trafficking and yeah. and it just opens this this door onto this blackness and darkness and it, it's very shocking i think but very necessary is this is this partly why you thought this movie should be made exactly that you know uh my personal experience was exactly what you just said um around six seven years ago i saw a um a little piece on child trafficking. I think it was on 60 Minutes or 2020, one of those shows late at night. And it shook my soul when I realized that I didn't know about mm -hmm. the depths. I knew about child trafficking. I didn't know how bad it was. Mm -hmm. So that was the main thing. So I woke up the next day and I told my wife, I have to do something about this. And I was cold. You know, I always say there's two kinds of movies the ones that I want to make 
and the ones that I'm called to make. Oh. And Sound of Freedom was definitely a movie that I was called to make for those particular reasons. I, I wanted to create awareness uh, through the art of of cinema. And you you succeeded, Alejandro. And the 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 actors uh, and actress are are amazing. I I don't know how you <laughs> how you made them. I, I don't know how. I don't know how that that works. That art um, of of expressing those 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 shaking those emotions that shake you to your soul. That um, um, Jim Caviezel and and um, Eduardo Verastegui are express and and the other actor I don't remember his name um, who also talks about the darkness that that he's that oh, he Bill, was participating. Bill Camp. Bill Camp. He was a uh, you know the darkness that he participated in at some point and then and then just he was able to really palpate that darkness and that sinfulness and, and he had to turn away and do something about it, which is, sounds to me, that's how you see this as a vocational film. When you, when you see the darkness and you feel the darkness, then everything inside of you needs to, needs to be a light, right? And Exactly. Uh-huh. What, um, another thing that, that, that was very lovely is that in your film, you were, You, you were able to, to, to plumb the depths of the darkness without showing the parts that are unseeable. And, and I think that yes. that was very delicate. And I, how did you do that? Yes, well, that was another, that was one of the biggest challenges, how to make a movie in a way that the audiences can digest it. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was to be able to tackle this subject matter with the beauty and the art of the storytelling form of a movie. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was the subtext that I was very called to, meaning I wanted every shot to have light piercing that darkness mm -hmm. and to be able to give the hope because, you know, this movie is not to bring us down. It's really to create awareness and to say that there is hope, that there is something we can do. And Alejandro, and, and the, the movie the movie does succeed in doing that because I was I have to tell you I was afraid to watch the movie because mm -hmm. I, I'm a mother of five. I I know children, I know very poor children um, from Tegucigalpa where the movie starts. Um, we used to have a little girl from Tegucigalpa come to our house every summer because she was a diabetic and we would and we were helping her um, get diabetes care, which is impossible for the poor children in Tegucigalpa. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I know how vulnerable children are in the in the third world, in the developing world, to unscrupulous people like human traffickers. And I and I know that they're being trafficked. I know that they're being used for sex even when they're little, three, four, five years old, and and then, you know, they get plugged into these lives which are just endless suffering and torture. And I didn't want to see it, <laughs> but I saw it and I'm so glad I did because it is a movie of hope. How did you, how were you able to do, how do you get hope out of those situations? Well, hope really comes from creating awareness that even though there is darkness, there is also light. Mm -hmm. And we are either practice or live our lives in the dark or in the light. And there is good people that want to live, you know, Mother Teresa said, a life not lived for others is a wasted life. So here is we're talking not just dollars, we're talking children. And the hope is that we protect our children, that we are called 
to do something about it, even just to talk about it, it creates awareness. And that hope of people, good people, because to me, the biggest problem, child trafficking, it's a problem, but people knowing about it and not doing nothing about it, it's a bigger problem. <laughs> Because therefore, the darkness will continue to expand. In a so way, temporary, in a yeah. way, we all become part of the darkness, right? If we if we exactly. if we know it's there, but we close our eyes, we don't want to see it because it's too painful. We yeah. become part of the darkness, correct? Exactly. Like you right now, just doing this interview, you're already shining a light. You're creating awareness. That's that's it's no, we're not. The hope doesn't come into people leaving everything they do and going to Honduras or Colombia to go save children. No. It could just literally start by creating awareness, by having meaningful conversation about this subject matter, by voting, by creating legislation that protects children. You know, there is, it's not like this country lacks money. It's, there's a lot of resources. And I don't think child trafficking is a priority. It's there, but it's not a priority. I think it's just about how we can make this a priority as a, as a problem in the United States um, and worldwide, obviously. Um, so creating awareness to me is the first step because awareness creates change. When people talk about trafficking, there there is a when people who don't know much about it and when it's very when it's talked about superficially, we think of trafficking as moving people around, right? Like you take a, you traffic the child, meaning you you go into traffic and you move them around. But in your film, we see the purpose of the moving of the child, right? The, the, the grabbing the child away from the, their natural protectors, their parents or their families, and, and putting them in a situation where they're completely at the mercy of the most unscrupulous and darkest people on earth. And I, I was deeply moved by that because I, I saw the enormity of the loneliness of, of these children. Um, I lost my father recently, and there's a scene where the, the little girl and little boy, brother and sister who are being trafficked, they find themselves, you know, very much alone in a, in a horrible situation, I won't even say. Um, and I, they're missing their father. And I thought, you know, missing one's father is a terrible thing. But imagine missing your father when you're completely disconnected from everything you know and at the mercy of the most evil people on earth. I mean, this is yeah. child trafficking. Exactly. You did. Yeah. You did it. You did such a beautiful job. You you did a wonderful job too on Bella, which is another movie that that you did with um, Eduardo Verasigi. Um, I, I Bella. If, if our listeners haven't seen it, it's another movie that has to be seen. Um, about about uh, for for people, especially for people who care about the dignity of unborn life, um, and how every child is is a precious gift from God and 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 should be treated just like that. How what's it like work, working with Eduardo? Um, oh, it's 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 a blessing. It's it's been uh, Eduardo's a force of nature. Um, I started my first film with him, and we've been partners now for I don't know almost twenty years. Mm -hmm. And Eduardo likes to make films that become movements. Mm -hmm. So he's he's he has a very strong calling into shining light into this kind of darkness. So I always say, if, if I want to shine a, a, a light in any kind of darkness around the world, I know who to call uh -huh. because he, he, he really cares because, you know, it requires somebody who truly cares and somebody who's bold to want to 
you know, back up a movie like this. Because the first thing is who's going to want to see the movie like this? You know, you can see all the negativeness and all the risks. But he also sees that it's actually a risk. It's way riskier not to make a movie about this mm -hmm. and not to create awareness about this. So um, I just uh, have deep respect for him. He's my compadre. He's the the um, the godfather of my daughter, first daughter. Mm -hmm. So I'm just very, very grateful uh, to to have a, a producer like Eduardo. I I heard Eduardo give a give his testimony of how he his conversion, because his conversion was one of of. It was a lot. It was a big deal to be converted like that because he was a person in Hollywood and in and in media and um, and to become a person who who is working basically for God in that in that industry is a tremendous thing. And I felt when he gave his testimony that he was another one of those people who had touched the darkness and been part of the darkness. And I'm I'm not giving away any secrets. He gave, this is a public testimony of his, and and came. And came to be and, and wanted to be part of the light. Um, is do you feel that most of the people who 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 want to be involved in projects like this are people like that? In, in, in yeah, I mean there is there is all kinds of people that have been supporting this film. You know, people that have like I say, uh, dance in the darkness. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm one I'm one of them, and that we understand change. But there is also people that have learned about the darkness without dancing in the darkness, if that makes sense. Exactly, and no, completely. That, that, yes. Yeah, they have supported this film or films like this, films that create awareness on, on dark subjects like this. So I, I feel if if we we as, as a society have to protect, in this case, our children, it's not like American children or Mexican children or Puerto Rican children or Nicaraguan children. It's they're the children of the world. Mm -hmm. And as, as 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 human beings, they're the children of the planet. We have to protect them. Just like we care about a tree and the Amazons when yes. they get destroyed. <laughs> exactly. We should also care about a child in Somalia who's being raped ten times a day. And we have to come together to create awareness on that. Mm -hmm. So in, I don't think there should be any borders or any nationalities to children. Children should be children of the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same thing as animals and elephants. And, you know, you don't say, well, they are the elephant from this part of the world. No, you say it's the, the sharks or the elephants. We should say the children of the world. They should be protected. They should have a, a, a national, a, an international protection. It's like you, 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 you. You hurt one of these child, children, it doesn't matter. They're protected by the world mm -hmm. and you'll be trialed by the world, not by that particular, uh, because unfortunately there's a lot of corruption in, 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 in many countries where people get paid off and this it, it, it should be the highest level of human rights. You said, Alejandro, at the end of the movie, there's there's some information that's played on the screen And one of those is that in the United States, the United States is the highest, the the biggest consumer of child sex in the world. And that that shocked me very badly because I was thinking, you know, with great power, with great money comes great responsibility. And the United States is misusing this. Americans are misusing their their power, the power of the purse and their the power of, to, to, you know, go about the world and, and get what they want. That's very shocking to me. 
that the United States would be such a huge consumer of child sex? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big country as well. So, and also it has a lot of resources and there there's a lot of tourism, you know, people travel a lot to other countries. Mm-hmm. So there is all those factors also play into you know, if, if if think about it, if, if you're from Mexico, how many people from Mexico visit other countries? Mm-hmm. This is an international problem where it's, it's related with tourism. You know, uh-huh. people go to other to other countries to vacation, but obviously with the wrong intentions. So they go to countries that are corrupted. You know, that it's it's you know, I me mean, as a Mexican, I'm also you know. They're embarrassed to say that Mexico is the number one provider of 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 uh, child. Is that true? Yeah, oh. yeah. So, you know, I I don't think it's it's a, an issue of pointing fingers of which country is, is is doing worse. It's just a matter of this is if if the world doesn't come together on this issue, it's the only way to stop it because. Eventually, the darkness will just move from country to country. I think it, it has to be a, a an international effort. And I do feel like just creating awareness around the world, it's the first step. Like when we're talking about it. Like a lot of people always ask me, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And I say, start by talking about it. Bring the conversation, even though it's heavy, but not because it's heavy, we should just avoid that, that, that thing. This... That's how we started. That's how we started this film. Mm-hmm. We just started talking about it. I started telling people, and then all of a sudden, you know, that's how the funding came in, like talking about it. I didn't know the movie was going to get funded, and little by little, I, I, I saw the hope that I see is that there is a lot of people that cares, and that to me is like hope. Because if you care, and I, I, I was amazed, a lot of people care. There's a lot of people that don't care, but there's a lot of people that do care. You and show that you show me, that in the movie very, very beautifully, Alejandro. In the movie, how people come together, a whole team comes together from the United yeah. States and from Colombia and from um, Honduras, and 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 people of different walks of life, and an, an ex an ex uh, drug cartel member, and. And a DEA, the, the main the main um, the main character is a, a DEA agent from the United States, Tim Ballard, a real person, <laughs> and he turns into vigilante, and and he has this whole team of people around him, and he's played by Jim Caviezel, as as I mentioned in the intro, um, and it's amazing to watch all these people come together and and be part of the solution for for many children they were able to save. That's that there is so much hope in in this movie, you know. The, the darker the the darker the darkness, you know, the more palpable and thick the darkness, the the stronger the light that God sends to overcome it. And yes. and you did such a wonderful job showing that. And you were and you were very light-handed, uh very light with the with the religious um things, I think, because and I think that's smart because people tend to the general public maybe tends to to think about that as extraneous to films, yeah. unfortunately. But you, you did a wonderful job with that. How how did your faith how what did you want to showcase about the way the faith was moving, the faith in God was moving the actors in this film? Well, I I, I like to propose themes. I don't like to impose a theme. And you know, I think faith is something that is very personal to people. Everybody 
have their own way to practice their faith, whatever their faith is. Mm -hmm. So in my movies, I never want to impose my faith on anybody. You know, I make movies for everybody. Mm -hmm. Now, the character, any given character in the film has, you know, because this is based on a true story, and Tim Ballard is a man of faith, so I have to stay honest to that character. Mm -hmm. But to me, you know, one of the things that is universal, it's our purpose. You know, we're born for a purpose, and if you follow your purpose, then that is, you know, many ways... There's a line in the film, when God tells you what to do, you cannot hesitate. Yes. And when, when we're called to something, we can't hesitate because that's how change happens. Mm -hmm. But for me, faith is something that I practice uh, as much as I can for me personally as a human being. And I'm very careful into how I, you know, infuse my faith in the films because again i if i'm gonna do it i'm just gonna do it as a proposition never as an imposition and and um because i don't make films for one particular audience i make films for everybody so it's it's um that's been a challenge in my career because people well one of the biggest problems that i see as a as a in, as a society especially here in america is that uh, people love to label people. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing. It's like, oh, who, who does they belong? It's almost like we live in tribes. So what tribe is he belongs? And let's label him. Let's label, let's, let's label his work. And just because I make faith-friendly uh, films, they automatically, they, my whole career, they've been trying to label me as a faith-based filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And that is not true. I, 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 I make faith-based friendly, but my films is for everybody. You, you could be an atheist. You could be because this. I, I like to tell stories that matter. Don't matter what you believe, and I, I I don't focus into one particular fate. So, you know, I I I continue to to try to fight that that label. It's not I'm not against the label. I'm just against all labels. We should not label each other. It's not like you're saying, oh, let's go to this restaurant. It's a great Christian restaurant. No, it's a restaurant. <laughs> That serves great food and it's food is for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 you know, don't, it's like if, if, if you're going to go to enjoy beautiful symphony, you don't go and like, well, this is an atheist symphony. Maybe we should, it's like, no, the music is beautiful and it, 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 and it, and it channels light. To me, it's any, we're all us, we, we can't, all appreciate the beauty and the art of any performance out there of any art form and that's what I've, i i uh, i root for and this 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 film it's 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 definitely has those components it's it's a film that has the spectrum for everyone to enjoy and 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 it's it's even though the word enjoy doesn't go side to side with such a dark subject matter, but it is a film with hope, but also that takes you on an odyssey, a cinematic odyssey, you know, it's still an experience. It's a movie that, you know, we go to the movies to be entertained. Now, there's nothing wrong with having meaningful entertainment. So this is a movie that will entertain you, but that, that will leave you inspired to 
possibly be part of 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 a change. I like to make movies that begin when the movie ends. You know, when the movie ends and you leave the theater, it's when really begins. And and when people come to me and they say, hey, you know, I experienced your film. And after I left, I kept thinking about, I love that. I love when they say, well, after I, the movie finished, I started, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And that to me, it's uh, it's it's one of the main goals as a, as a filmmaker. Well, Alejandro, I can tell you, you succeeded. You succeeded in, in, in this film, which is obviously vocational for you and, and Jim Caviezel and Eduardo Verasigui. And it's, it's, a, it's a really fabulous movie. Again, a dark subject matter treated with such delicacy, such hope, and, and at the end, joy. Um, the joy of, of knowing that we can all be part of the light. So thank you so much, Alejandro. Tell our film, our listeners, please, um, how they can watch the movie, which opens on July 4th. Well, yeah, this is the most important. Well, everything is important, but this is like one of the most important messages for everybody. You know, we decided to come out in July 4th. Now, July 4th, it's not just Independence Day, it's literally Blockbuster Day. That's when all the blockbusters, was when all the 200, 300 million dollar films come out. I mean, we're coming out on July 4 against Indiana Jones, then Mission Impossible, then Oppenheimer. So the only way we can stay in theaters is if people come support the film while we're in theaters. Otherwise, <laughs> we will be kicked out within a week. So it's really important that the first week uh people come and see the film and if they love it only if they love it to tell everybody about it and I, I i have no doubt that they will love it we've been testing the movie all across the nation and the reaction has been incredible so i i i urge everyone to please come uh, and and uh, support this film on on opening weekend because once we if we if we do well in opening weekend then we'll stay in theaters that's that's why that that first week is so important well thank you for explaining that because i think people who aren't in the film business probably don't understand these these intricacies and i i, I back you up a hundred percent i saw the movie last night it, it it changed me and i will never never think about these things again the same way and and i do hope and i and i do believe that the movie now starts at the very end when we when the lights go out and you say oh this is this is something that that needs my attention and my focus so thank you so much alejandro monteverde um, and your work on sound of freedom thank you Hostess Dr. Gracie Christie, we talk with Carrie Solomon. He is a Catholic producer and director called Nefarious. It's a supernatural thriller inspired by the best selling book, A Nefarious Plot, about the epic battle between good and evil. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, I'm very excited to have you on. I really like it on, on our show, Conversations with Consequences, when we cover movies and other things that are in the popular culture because I feel very strongly it's, it's a huge mistake to cede the, the culture of entertainment to the other side, <laughs> as it were, and not to have a strong presence. And when I say us, I mean people of faith, people of traditional values, people who understand that there is a God and that there are certain ways we should um, live in accordance to that. Um, so I wonder, I'm wondering if that is something that you feel strongly about, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, 
I think that's what really matters. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think the media is the most powerful tool that is in the world. There's a reason why Stalin and Hitler and Lenin all said the person who controls the movie theaters will control the world. Additionally, I think uh, TV, uh, now especially, you know, people are programmed by TV. So, mm. and the left and those people that hate God or are just not traditional in any way or form or not conservative, uh, they're using it as a tool against us. And so I think it's a, it's a terrible situation that we're in. And I couldn't agree with you more. It was incredibly foolish for us to cede authority and cede control of the entertainment business. Well, during COVID, I have to admit, uh, when we were shut down in Miami and in, in Florida, where I live, it wasn't very long. But still, I didn't, I didn't have any work for a few weeks. And I watched too much TV. I watched too many shows. And I, I, I felt a little poisoned by the experience. Um, I felt that I was watching things that were doing me harm, things that normalized behaviors and ideas in an insidious kind of way, where they were presenting things, uh, situations, relationships that I knew were wrong, but always in, a, but when, a, when they were wrong, they were always presented in a very positive, positive way with music that, uh, you know, lifts up your heart. And, 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 and I got this, I, I got this impression that it was very insidious and it was almost on purpose, that there's a mind behind it, uh, sort of maybe a hive mind. What do you think? Am I, was, am I exaggerating? Oh, I can tell you that there's definitely a mind behind it. It's demonic. Not only is the adversary, the devil, uh, in control of Hollywood and the media, there are forces within Hollywood. Now, look, I, I work every day in Hollywood, so I can tell you right now that there are things that go on Hollywood that would absolutely blow away the average American. I mean, there would be riots in the streets if Americans really knew the evil that goes on in Hollywood. And the agenda is not going to stop, which is one of the reasons we made the movie. Uh, you know, I felt the Lord called us to make this movie. And basically what it does, it drags the devil out of the darkness into the light and shows people, look, God is not the enemy of mankind. He's the savior of mankind. The devil is the enemy of mankind. And the devil is totally prosperous in the media. I mean, it doesn't take, I mean, if you're not paying attention, even if you're not paying attention, it's gotta be obvious to people that the media is totally controlled. They're not even reporting anymore on anything that happens if it's outside their agenda. Mm -hmm, that's true. And I th and I think the worst target is what they're trying to do with children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I it's mean, it's almost terrible. Uh, it's incomprehensible, right? When I mean, I'm a parent. Maybe you're a parent too. Yeah. The one thing that that I'm 100% sure of uh, in this material world is that the purity of our children should be maintained and protected. And when I see attacks against that, which I'm seeing every single day from all directions, I do think that there's a huge element of the demonic, the, of that, that, male, that malevolent intent behind all of it. Of course. I mean, first off, if you look at all the things that are happening now and you go biblically into the Bible, the Bible warns that there will come a time when men will be think, when women will will dress and be men and men will be like women, that good will be called bad and bad will be called good and that there will be, and, and throughout prophetic words and throughout the, the decades, we've been told that they're after the, to destroy the family, to destroy the children, and to destroy the family unit. What more do we need when the mutilation of children is going on? When people are rioting in the streets because we're not allowed to kill children uh, through abortions. And now, in many states, they can be born and alive, and now they're not even making, they're not even hiding the agenda anymore. Now, they just say, no, we should be able to kill a baby if it's breathing, if it's, its heart is beating, if it's been born. 
we should have a choice. We, you know, because choice is important. No, it's not. Not when it comes to murder. Well, choice, you know, the people who propose things. choice as the highest uh, good, they seem to invariably choose death, which is such a, a non, it's such an anti-human, and not just against human, but outside of the human experience where life has always been a, at a premium. It doesn't matter what culture or what time in the world history, life has always been seen as the highest, um, the, the highest thing one can attain, right, is a, is a fulfilling and, and full life. What do you uh, say? I mean, what do you say? Yeah. So, so in your movie, let's get to your movie. Nefarious is is a psychological thriller with elements of the divine, of the demonic, um, and in a way that. Well, tell us, tell us, how do you present the demonic in the, in your movie, Nefarious? Well, first off, uh, the average person is going to be scared of the movie because they're going to look at the poster and they're going to see what looks to them like a demonic, satanic movie. We did that on purpose because basically we believe that the youngsters today are drawn. People are drawn to the demonic occult horror movies. This is not something to be scared of, however, on our movie. We use the poster to bring people in and then show them the truth. So and it's been successful, uh, very successful so far in that respect. But I can assure everyone that's listening that there's nothing demonic, nothing satanic. There's no bad language. There's no sex. There's nothing like that. This is two guys in a room. Think uh, Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins from Silence of the Lambs mm -hmm. having, a, having a conversation. So it is a psychological thriller. You're not going to see anything, you know, heads turning and puking green pea soup and people walking on the wall. It's not that kind of movie. Uh, what it is, is it's uh, a prisoner who basically is going to be executed. A serial killer is going to be executed. And his psychiatrist kills himself, which brings all the findings about the serial killer into question. The state will not execute someone unless they're sane. So what the state does is they bring in a uh, progressive liberal psychiatrist who's very smart, very good looking, very well dressed, is very good at what he does. But he's also an atheist. Mm -hmm. So you have an atheist that comes into the prison and meets with the serial killer. And the serial killer surprises him by telling him. I'm a demon. So obviously the psychiatrist believes that he's saying that to prove that he's crazy. That way he, he won't be executed. He's very smart. But we go back and forth, back and forth. And then the serial killer also tells him, before you leave here today, you will you will have killed, uh, you will have committed three murders. And so, which actually does play out. So it's a very interesting setup and it's a very interesting movie. But the thing it really does, is it brings truth. It shows the truth of what's going on in the world today. And it lets people who are especially lukewarm on the idea of the devil understand that there is a devil. There is a devil behind all of it. He's behind the curtain. But we pull him out of the, you know, we pull the curtain aside and we show his machinations and what he does. And I think. Uh, audiences across the country have been fascinated with it. Carrie, when I was six or seven years old, I, I went to my mother and I asked her a very serious question. Mommy, is the devil real? Because I had heard about the devil from my friends. And she looked me right in the face and she said, yes, the devil is real. And it it, it shocked me so much because, of course, my mother was always going to tell me the truth, right? I, believe, I, right? I believed and I still believe in what my mother tells me to this day. But children aren't growing up like that. They're not being told that there is... That there is a force of malevolence that is work is trying to to work on you and is trying to get under your skin and and into your thoughts, and it's and it's maybe not um, 
Of course, it's not the, that image of the, the devil with horns, but, it, but it's very real and people become subject to it. Is that the kind of thing that your movie is trying to point out? Of course. But, you know, today, if that same conversation was said today, the mommy would say, don't be so. There's no such thing as the devil. There's mm -hmm. no such thing as evil. They don't even believe in evil. Yes, and exactly. the me and the media, the media propounds they pound this away that there's no such thing that man is man has got to evolve from this primitive superstition, superstition called Christianity, and these values that conservatives and Christians have are just ridiculous. We need to be able to do whatever we want. We need to be able to do it whenever we want. We need to be able to do all these things because that's why we've been born. Well, that is literally the first uh, the first commandment in the demonic Bible. Do what thou wilt. It is the whole of the law. Mm -hmm. And and so when when people say these things, it just they're literally sentencing their children, their families and their lives to eternal darkness. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, look around that. You know, I, I have one of the, the, the most profound things that was ever told to me was uh, about the devil when I was younger. And uh, this man said to me, a very wise man said to me, if you don't believe in the existence of the devil, declare war against him and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, and, he'll, and he'll come out shooting this, and, and with nuclear and, bombs against you. <laughs> yeah, and, and so when we did this movie, we declared war against the devil and we had all kinds of demonic manifestations that occurred. I mean, just crazy amounts of stuff. Um, I mean, I even had to have an exorcist on set and his appendix exploded and he almost died. I and mean, we had car crashes. We had buildings being ripped to pieces. I'll give you an example real quick. Father Carlos Martins, who's probably the premier exorcist, Catholic priest exorcist in America, uh, basically was at my premiere and we were doing a press junket. And while we were filming, the lights in the room started to flick on and off. And they wouldn't stop and we couldn't control the lights. Now, when you're filming, you know, you just can't you can't have that happen. Mm -hmm. The sound mixer went dead. The, the, the cameras, the digital discs got corrupted. And there were and I am not kidding. Voices and noises coming out of the couches. So I called the father up, the priest, the exorcist. And I said, I think we got a problem here. He comes into the room with his holy water and his his prayers and so on. And he says, I know exactly what this is. He walks across the room, puts his back to the window and he's five stores up, floors up. There's nothing outside the window. But suddenly behind his right ear, there's a female demonic voice chanting in his ear. And to try and stop him from basically doing the prayers, or at least I presume he goes into the prayer in Latin, and when he gets to the part where it says, behold now the mighty and terrible name of Jesus, the voices in the couch stop, the flicking in the room stops, the voice behind his ear stops, flees, and, and everything works. Oh my gosh. Now, now you tell me, is that a coincidence? I don't think so. Okay, and this is just tip of the iceberg. We have had demonic manifestations on this project. You know, you've heard about this, people have heard about this, and yet... Why doesn't anyone believe this? They, you know, they love people who are obsessed with the demonic, but they're obsessed with the fact, oh, the devil is real, the devil is real, but they're looking to get power or favor from the devil. Let me explain. You never get power or favor from the devil. What you get is damnation from mm -hmm. the devil. And slavery. And slavery. And eventually you will be his slave.
So the problem with this fanaticism, it's almost cultish. You have a uh, in America today, they are they are saying that seven out of 10 people identify as having some sort of mental condition. Four out of those 10 people believe it's demonic in some way. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. We got 350 million people in America. Four out of 10 percent. That's 140 million people that are thinking that they're having serious problems and no one is talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is true. If you're the devil, what do you do? If you're the devil, what do you do? You convince people that evil is not real. It's just it's something that just happened or whatever analysis. It's just a societal conditioning. Or maybe you blame it. Maybe you blame it on religion, right? Right. And which is what they do, obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The long term goal here is very simple. And I think Catholics especially need to wake up to this. They are coming for us. They are doing exactly the devil wants to put an end to the church. He wants to put an end to Catholics. He wants to put an end to the Jews. He wants to put an end to goodness, righteousness and every value that is of God. So we have the mockery of the devil. What do we look at? The mockery of the devil is as far. So the divine hour is afternoon. What's the devil's hour? Three o'clock in the morning. Okay, if the if the Lord loves the children, what does the devil do? He kills the children. If the Lord says man shall be man and woman shall be woman, what does he do? He makes women men and men women. Uh, if he says that a man and a woman should not divorce, what does he do? He goes around making divorce. When I was dating, I'll never forget this. It was one of the greatest lessons of my life. When I was dating a woman, uh, you know, just a girl, I had this incredibly lust to have, right? And it was driven, it was driving me. Once I got married, that lust was gone. And I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because what is the devil doing? Because when you're married, it's no longer a sin, right? Mm-hmm. We don't see people don't sensitize themselves to evil anymore. We've been desensitized with this between TV and the movies. They start very slowly. This is so cunning and so insidious. What happens is in the 50s, slowly but surely, you know, we'd start to curse in the movie or show a little bit more flesh in the movie. And we kept moving and he kept selling and selling and selling. And it's the same way homosexuality was sold to the people. You know, Will and Grace on TV is the reason you have homosexuality in America now, because we made the homosexuals look good. I will tell you, I was in the basement of a very uh, powerful producer. Uh, He had his office in his basement in his big fancy mansion. And he did not realize I was a Catholic and he did not realize I was a conservative. And I am telling you, this is a truthful story. And Chuck and I are in there. Chuck's my business partner. And he says, hey, uh, and he's going to school us. He's going to teach us and how I, we got abortion passed and how we did this. And he starts going into it. And he says, here's what you do on your TV shows. He says, we the first thing we do is we make people love the show. And then what we do is we take the most innocent of the characters in the show. And she's, let's say, a 13 year old girl. And we have her get raped by a really bad person. So now she's pregnant. And then what happens is we have uh, her parents basically going to throw her into the street because they're Christians and they're not ca- and, and they're Christians. <laughs> and then we have her friend who's a Christian at her. You're killing this, you know, and and and, and they dis- they take the Christian who's the most loving of people in the real world and turn it into the most hateful of people in the show. And then the, the the Christians are tearing her to pieces. And so all of a sudden, the kinder, gentler abortion doctor comes to her and says to her, I can help you. You know, there's so many things you can do with your life. You know, this is so terrible. And then she gets the abortion and everybody is cheering the fact 
that she got the abortion. So thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me. And now, Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a privilege for me to be with you. As we enter into the consequential conversation the risen Lord Jesus wants to have with each of us this Sunday. It's a fitting dialogue to have as we mark this long weekend in preparation for the celebration of the 4th of July, which we not only will celebrate the gift of our hard-won freedom, but have a chance to ponder anew its deepest purpose. Freedom is a gift that comes with a task. Like water, which can be used to drink or to drown, the gift of freedom can be used for good or ill. If we use it well, it will become stronger. If we abuse it, it can undermine its own foundations. In the sad case of addiction, someone uses his freedom to have a beer, but then abuses it to have a case, and slowly but surely becomes enslaved to alcohol, no longer free to say no. Culturally, we are seeing freedoms abused with greater frequency. Free speech is exploited to defend pornography. Freedom of religion to defend satanic practices. So-called freedom to choose to end the lives of human beings in the womb. The more freedom is abused, the more enslaved and less free we become. To stay free, we must use our freedom properly. Freedom is not the license to do whatever we want, wherever we want, whenever we want, without the interference of anyone else. It's not the power to pretend that we're God, determining good or evil, even deciding over life and death. Freedom, rather, is the capacity to act in accordance with the truth about who we are in God's image and likeness. It's a self-mastery that makes it possible for us to give of ourselves to others in love. When Pope Benedict came to the White House 15 years ago this April, he gave a challenge to Americans to use our freedom to stay free. He said, freedom is not only a gift, but a summons to personal responsibility. The preservation of freedom calls for the cultivation of virtue, self-discipline, sacrifice for the common good, and a sense of responsibility toward the less fortunate. It also demands the courage to engage in civic life, bring one's deepest beliefs and values to reason public debate. In a word, freedom is ever new. It's a challenge held out to each generation, and it must constantly be won over for the cause of good. So, How are we going to respond to Pope Benedict's challenge? How are we going to use our freedom to grow as God intends? Jesus in this Sunday's gospel speaks about two essential aspects of our Christian life. Discipleship and apostolate. Our following Jesus and our proclaiming him. Our work to become holy as he is holy. And our fidelity to the mission he gives us to become instruments in the sanctification of others. He speaks to us first about the conditions of discipleship. He tells us, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus reminds us that to be his disciple, to enter into his kingdom, requires a decisive choice. We must freely choose to live to love him more than father and mother, more than son or daughter. We must freely choose to embrace our cross and follow him along this way of sacrificial love freely willing to lose our life for him and his kingdom. In terms of family relations, Jesus indicates that we can only have one absolute in our life. Only one love can have primacy. Only one thing can have our ultimate obedience and affection. Either God or our parents, our spouse or our children. The same God who calls us to honor our father and mother, who calls us to reverence our spouse out of love for Christ, calls us to love our children as God loves us, at the same time calls us to love God with all our mind, heart, soul and strength. When we freely choose to love God above all, we don't love our family members less, but better. Most often we won't have to choose between the love of God and the love of family members, thanks be to God. But when faced with the choice, 
Jesus is showing us how to choose well by choosing God. He's pointing out to us clearly the potential cost of discipleship. To have the pearl of great price, as he says elsewhere, sometimes we have to sell all our other pearls. Even though the choice can be hard, it is rewarding. Once St. Peter asked Jesus what the apostles would receive for leaving father, mother, children, land for his sake and the sake of the gospel, Jesus replied, a hundredfold in this life and eternal life. And those who have made those sacrifices know that the reward is far greater than the price, even though the price is high. Jesus is worth it. To follow him does sometimes require crucifixion in worldly ways, but it also involves a resurrection. After speaking about the use of freedom to follow him wholeheartedly, Jesus, as part of his instructions to the apostles before he sent them out for the first time to preach, speaks about the choice and the means to share the gift of faith. Jesus gets the twelve ready to identify those who are open to the gospel by those who use their freedom to welcome them. He instructs them to stay in the houses where they're given hospitality, not just as a courtesy so that they wouldn't perpetually be looking for a better deal, but precisely to learn from those who receive them one of the crucial aspects of the gospel, the free welcome necessary to embrace God and his word. Jesus points to the deeper dynamic at work in their being accepted into homes. In the people's welcoming them, they're welcoming God himself. He says, Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Whoever receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive the reward of a prophet. Whoever gives only a cup of cold water to one of these little ones to drink because he is a disciple. Amen, I say to you, will surely not lose his reward. Jesus sends us out in his name so that others can have a chance in freely, freely welcoming us to welcome him and caring for us to care for him. Sometimes we can think that our apostolate involves having the knowledge of sacred scripture like St. Paul, the preaching ability of Archbishop Sheen, the loving charisma of St. Teresa of Calcutta, the missionary zeal of St. John Paul II. Sometimes rather it involves simply using our freedom to go out in the, same, in the name of Christ and give others the chance to welcome us in that name. That very act of hospitality is more than one of human goodness. It's often one of faith, hope, and love. It's also why one of the most important habits we need to cultivate in ourselves and help form in others is this habit of welcoming. Because in welcoming others, including strangers, not to mention welcoming those sent by the church in Jesus' name, we're welcoming the Lord who has sent them as his emissaries and tells us through them, when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. There's a lot of talk about welcoming in the church today, as there should be. Catholic churches must be welcoming places if they're to be truly Catholic. It's scandalous, in fact, when strangers come to Catholic churches and are treated as the world normally treats strangers, with little or no warmth and hospitality, and sometimes even with thinly veiled frustration or resentment, rather than the way we're supposed to treat Christ. The church is ultimately meant to be a family, and we should respond to people coming the way family members treat each other on Thanksgiving, especially if we haven't seen them in a while, or we're meeting a new cousin. We should use our freedom to make the effort to greet strangers, to ask if they'd like to sit with us, perhaps help them to learn when to stand, sit, kneel, use the hymnal, missalette, or other things in Mass. But part of our welcome must also be gradually to try to help them use their freedom to welcome Christ to the depth at which he desires to be welcomed. This means to help them embrace Jesus in the gospel he proclaims and to work to live it 
especially when it requires the types of choices that Jesus describes in this Sunday's Gospel, to choose him who is the way, truth, and life above sins to which they may be addicted, not to mention over other goods to whom or which they're attached. In some places of the church, people talk about welcoming everybody without similarly helping them to welcome Christ in his call to conversion and holiness. This is especially the case among some who try to minister to those who identify as gays, lesbians, and trans. The welcome they receive is often superficial, the love truncated, because it's not helping them to come to know, understand, love, and live the gospel in its fullness. It's not helping them to know and live the truth that will set them free. They deserve more, and Christ is calling us to give them more, to help them welcome him truly and fully. This Sunday, as we approach the 4th of July, Jesus wants to strengthen us to choose him who has first chosen us in love. He's loved us more than himself. He's picked up his cross and lost his life so that we might have life to the full. He wants to help us welcome him who came to welcome us into his kingdom in this world and in the next. He wants to embolden us as he sends us out like he sent the original apostle, promising that others who welcome us because we're his disciples will receive an unbelievable reward, the reward of great apostles, prophets, and saints, because in truly welcoming us, they're welcoming him and his kingdom. This is the way that we will respond well to the gift and task of our freedom and become salt, light, and leaven that can win over our generation in the future to the cause of good so that we may help keep this land, truly the land of the free and the home of those brave enough to follow Christ fully along the path of love. God bless you and God bless our beloved country. Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com and you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. A big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I hope that this show was helpful. I hope that it gave you more peace and more hope and more joy and you go with our prayers. 